Our cell is the leading distributor of radiotherapy patient positioning equipment and physics QA products for the UK and Ireland, supplying both the NHS and the private sector. Why not register and join us at the Macromedics User Meeting on the 8th of November at the Novotel Hotel in London Paddington? This will be an incredibly insightful day to listen to talks on the Macromedics mobilisation range from our various ranges of thermoplastics all the way to our all-in-one solutions and SBRT products. Please do get in touch for more information. And finally, as always, do not hesitate to discuss your product and service requirements with our friendly and knowledgeable account specialists as and when required. We are all from a radiotherapy background and we are more than happy to chat about the clinical benefits and the workflow of all of our products. If you would like to browse our products, please go to our website at www.osl.uk.com or if you would like to speak to us, please call 01743 462 694. Hi, my name's Laura and I work at Convensis as a Partnerships Manager. Join us at the NHS Oncology Conference on the 6th of June 2023 in Manchester. We'll open the debate on how the NHS is planning to lean on new models of delivery and innovation to help manage the current treatment backlogs and improve outcomes on a national scale. All tickets are free for the NHS to attend. To register for your free ticket, visit convensis.co.uk. Hello everyone and welcome to RadChat, the multi-award winning therapeutic radiographer-led oncology podcast. Welcome to podcast number 67. My name is Naman Jokansen and I'm joined by our fellow host Joe McNamara. Hi everyone. A big thank you to our last guest, Darian Laird, who talked about the Global Coalition for Radiotherapy. If you haven't had a chance yet, please do go and take a listen. So we're very pleased to introduce our guests for this evening, Dr Elsa van Garderen, who will be discussing the physics behind proton therapy, along with an innovative solution for sustainable proton therapy. Hi Elsa. Hi Naman. Hi Joe. So Elsa, could you tell us a bit about what you do and how you got there? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm the CEO of Arcelic Proton Therapy. So I am French. I'm originally uh, an engineer and a PhD in nuclear physics. I spent 20 years um, working at particle accelerators around the globe for research. So I worked in the Netherlands, in Switzerland, in Australia. And when I came back from Australia, I joined a proton therapy supplier, Varian, and I led the commissioning of a proton therapy gantry at the Paul Scherer Institute in Switzerland. And this is where I learned about proton therapy, the pros and the cons. So I had a very exciting position. Um, I was managing the field service engineers. I was in contact with the customer. I was managing so the, the last part of the installation of the machine during daytime and the commissioning that was happening during nighttime because the particle accelerator was used for treatment on other treatment rooms during daytime. I was working nights, I was working weekends, I had a very exhausting time and it was fantastic. I really loved it. But uh, it was a term contract and the machine was commissioned and handed to the customer and I needed to find something else. So I moved to the office uh, of Varian and I was in charge of um, the last level of support for um, X-ray machines. So this was 
very uh, interesting. I liked, I had to learn a lot about how this uh, small uh, electron Linux work. And it was very challenging. Uh, I, yeah, I definitely learned a lot, but I wanted um, something else in my career. And um, this is uh, when I thought, hmm, what can I do? And so I started to look a bit uh, um, into share market. And then I, I looked into the real estate and uh, <laughs> I, I took some courses about how to invest in real estate and I, uh, I met a mentor and with this mentor we are currently, well we bought a, a church, <laughs> an old church that's uh, disaffected and we are no renovating it and into the 20 um, houses so this is something very exciting but also something that I'm not really doing um, every day so I needed something else. I took courses on, well, cl free classes on LinkedIn and Coursera and, and somebody said, well, the, the problem with, um, with women is that they don't have a uh, big enough network. So they don't really manage to uh, improve their career. So I started to improve my network. I went on LinkedIn, I'd reached out to many people and among them there was my former colleague, somebody who I had um, partly worked with 10 years before, uh, Steve Hunt. I contacted him again and said, oh, by the way, what are you doing right now? And he told me that he had uh, developed uh, and patented a new accelerator for, particle, uh, for proton therapy. So I thought, wow, that's amazing. I can join him. <laughs> and so I did. Uh, I left Varian and I started to do some uh, small work for, for Alceli and more and more. And at some point I, uh, I asked for the CEO position and Steve said yes. So I'm very happy I got the position. <laughs> That is the testament of you don't get if you don't ask. So anyone out there who's working in a business who thinks, oh, I'd really like that role. Would you say that the key is to ask the question? Yes, show that you are capable, yeah, capable of it and, uh, and ask. I mean, if you don't ask, you don't get that for, for sure. <laughs> and do things but take note of what you're doing so that you can show it again because time passes and everybody forgets what was obvious six months before is not obvious anymore so take note of your achievements oh that's really good piece of advice and um, Elsa I'm really intrigued the fact that you have such a varied career I've just renovated a single house and that was stressful enough how you have a full-time job and renovating a church and everything else I don't know how you do it but you obviously have more hours in the day than the rest of the world how you know what does your your day look like what's the day in the life of a CEO now <laughs> um my day is fairly long yeah actually I realize that I I kind of wake up at 5 30 a.m but um, I don't get out of bed at that time, no. I stay in bed in the dark with my eyes closed and my brain is spinning. So it goes like 
okay, what is going, uh, how is going, how my day is going to be. So I need to fill in that form. And uh, in that form, I saw there was this horrible questions. I don't know how to formulate that properly. So mm -hmm, what would be the best way of uh, writing in this, uh, this chapter, for instance? And then I probably stay in bed for one one hour like this, um, thinking. And then I wake up. I have a huge coffee because <laughs> without coffee I cannot do anything. She's <laughs> been up since five thirty. That caffeine is essential. <laughs> I, I don't get out of bed at five thirty. It's weird. Really. No, no, no. I cannot do that. <laughs> And um, then a good coffee, a bit of power work, um, then I go back to my computer, it's probably 9 a.m. Um, then I will fill in all these forms and meet these people I need to meet. So uh, I'm working now on fundraising. Um, Alceli is a startup who needs funding, so we're looking, um, we're discussing with uh, financial people, a lot of filling documents, uh, looking for potential customers. So we already have a, a, a few of them, but um, we are looking for more. So uh, do a bit of sales. We are part of uh, an incubator. So the HEC Paris incubator who provide for us plenty of mentors, so when I have whatever question, I will find a mentor or speak with them at uh, opening hours. Um, so I do that probably until 4 p.m. And because I woke up so early, after that time, I'm really not efficient anymore. <laughs> so I go out again <laughs> to have some fresh air. Um, I might sit on the bench uh, in outside and I start playing with my phone <laughs> and I go on LinkedIn. There are good people that I am following. Um, they probably don't have much followers, but they are saying very interesting things for me. So when there is a post that I like, I will read it. And I will also look at um, the people who commented or liked the post. And I will go through all their profiles. And when there are people I like, I would like to contact also, well, I reach out. And so we can have some good conversation as well. I can learn things from them. And I find that really exciting. Now, as I told you also, I. Uh, I'm a technical person from uh, from my training, from what I learned uh, at school. But I uh, I want to be a CEO now, so I'm missing some skills, and that's why I'm starting an executive MBA. I am uh, I have chosen a special one uh, that's the Quantic Business School, and that's very different from other MBAs that exist. So it's on an app, on the phone app. Um, there's no lecture per se. It's um, so in, it's an interactive app. You need to click and write to go from one page to the other, and that's the way you learn. So there's no learning during the day or the night. You do it whenever you want. So it can be at 5 a.m. as well. <laughs> And um, yeah, it's a 14 month program and I thought it was really great. So I enrolled in that one. And um, I told them also what I was doing. I was, uh, and I received the Hyperion Award for Entrepreneurs. So I'm very excited I got this one. So this is my day. <laughs>
amazing. I think it's exactly what you'd expect a CEO to be doing, getting up at half five in the evening when you're supposed to be switching off work straight on your phone again, <laughs> doing more work. Because, I mean, I don't know, I think networking is always viewed as work, but you're just building relationships. It doesn't have to be work. You don't have to, like, I know a conversation is an exchange of information, but it doesn't have to be transactional. You know, messaging or reposting something on social media now is actually quite an important part of everyone's day, I would say, especially like professional Twitter or LinkedIn. There's so many important things that are put out there. And yeah, like, as you said, you really learn from them. Yeah, and you can really change people's life. I'm thinking about something that happened last week. I was stuck, I've been stuck with a problem for one year. And there was this this guy who just said something on a, repo, a recorded post. And I thought, oh my goodness, <laughs> he might have the answer to my question. So I reached out to him and said, yeah, yeah, let's have a, a call uh, next week. And when you had that call, he told me, well, I have 15 minutes for you. And in those 15 minutes, he actually solved the problems I've been having for one year. So reach out to people, <laughs> really. Wow. Were you like, oh, I wish I'd met you yeah, six exactly. months earlier? Yeah, exactly. I was like, I'm so <laughs> lucky I was there <laughs> and could find you, yeah. That's something with, um, with entrepreneurs and startups. Um, maybe the mentality is different. Uh, everybody has struggled and they are happy to help and they are happy to help for free. So if you reach out and say, oh, I have this problem, can you help me? They will say yes. They won't try to push you down. That's why I'm very happy to have changed and to, to work for our startup right now. <laughs> and I suppose as well, do you find that because of your background, you do gain the respect and, and maybe have more insight into what it is that you're talking about? Because I know some CEOs that go into a business essentially from the operations strategic perspective and don't necessarily know about what that business is or maybe all of the intricacies do you feel that does help you in your day-to-day -day job yeah um i think i chose that very startup because i understand the technology so yeah i didn't apply to any ceo position i wanted to work for that uh, that startup but yes um I didn't want the CTO position. I'm not, I mean, I don't want to go deep into technical stuff, but of course I understand um, how it works. Um, yeah, now I want to do something else. <laughs> so Elsa, we've talked about proton therapy a little bit. Aha. What is proton therapy? So when you get a cancerous tumor, you'll receive um, conventional radiation therapy that's, that are x-rays. So the x-rays, um, they will go through your body, they will destroy the tumor, and they will destroy everything around it. So it means that later in life, um, you might have secondary effects. Uh, so it can be um, a, a cardiac problem, for instance. Proton therapy um, has been known since the, the 50s and they're starting in a particular accelerator uh, in California, the Lawrence Berkeley Lab. It was some scientists who thought, huh, we have this fantastic accelerator for protons. Well, can we treat patients uh, with protons? And what did, it, did they think, think that? It's because of the characteristics of the protons. So 
X-rays will go through the body, they deposit almost uh, the, the, most of their energy just after the skin and then they cross the body. The protons deposit all their energy at the end of their path. That's called the Bragg peak. So we can vary the initial energy of the proton so that the Bragg peak end up in the tumor. That means that all the healthy tissues behind the tumor are, are preserved and the healthy tissues in front of the tumor receive very, very little dose. And that's why proton therapy from uh, a patient's point of view um, could be sometimes better than conventional X-ray. Elsa, can I just ask, sorry to interrupt, can, um, does the radiobiology of protons, does that operate exactly the same way as X-rays? Um, yes, it will destroy the tumour in the same way, yeah, correct. So the problem with proton therapy today um, is the infrastructure. To accelerate the protons, we need a particle accelerator. And currently, we use a cyclotron, that is a machine that spirals the protons to give them energy. Then, as I told you, we want to make sure that uh, the Bragg peak ends up in the tumor. And of course, this varies um, depending on the patient. So the cyclotron will accelerate the protons to the maximum energy, that's about uh, 250 or 230 MeV. And just after it, we have an energy degrader. This is carbon um, plates that will reduce the energy of the proton. So you accelerate to the maximum speed and path directly after you have an energy degrader. As you can imagine, the cyclotron that spirals the proton will create a lot of induced radioactivity. The energy de degrader, so bumping the protons on the degrader, will also create a lot of induced radioactivity. So we, use, we put a lot of concrete blocks, like 3 meters, 4 meters sometimes, to prevent the, um, the induced radioactivity to, 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 to hurt the, the people close to the machine. Then we have a transfer line and we go to the treatment room. The patient is laying on the couch, but the proton beam is mounted on a gantry. And that gantry, it's a 200 ton concrete cone that can rotate around the patient. It has a diameter of 15 meters. And we want to turn the gantry and position the beam such that um, it's better for the patient. So it's of course very difficult to have really precise accuracy with such a concrete monster. Now, <laughs> the problem with cyclotrons as well is that sometimes they need maintenance. Those are very um, technically challenging machines and they are so very radioactive. So imagine 
um, your uh, cyclotron goes down. And that doesn't happen often, but that can happen. So you will have a field service engineer specialized in um, cyclotron maintenance who will come to, to the proton therapy center. They will need to wait for the radiation to go down on the machine. And then they will go, go uh, will open the cyclotrons and go in. But they cannot spend eight hours in a cyclotron because the radioactivity level is too high. So they can maybe work two hours and then they need to leave. So you need somebody else or you need to wait. Proton therapy treatment is about uh, 20 fraction. So one fraction per day over five days. What does it mean if the cyclotron is down for two weeks, for one month? I have seen two months cyclotron down. So the patients who didn't start that treatment, well, they will have to wait. But the ones who started that treatment, what happens to them? So they can be sent um, to x-rays. Maybe it's okay for them, maybe it's not. Um, or they can be sent to other proton therapy centers. There are 119 centers today in the world, mostly in the US and in Japan. So it means that if your proton therapy center is down, you might need to change country to follow up with your treatment. You're away from home, you're away from your family, you are alone with a tough treatment. But this is in the best case when actually there is space <laughs> and other proton therapy uh, centers can take you. So um, that's the problem with proton therapy today. So there's room for improvement, but in some cases, yes, it's so much better for the patient because can imagine when, when you have a, a tumor that's in the brain, um, close to the heart, like um, breast cancer on the left side, close to the spine, for pediatric, um, protons could be better than x-rays. I'm glad you made that distinction between uh, if proton therapy units are down. So obviously in the UK we have two, one up at the Christie, which was the first one, and now at UCLH in London. Um, I mean, we've had a previous guest on here um, who had head and neck proton therapy who lived down south, but UCLH wasn't running. So he was put up in a hotel by himself going through head and neck radiation therapy as part of the torpedo trial um, all the way up. Um, yeah, up in Manchester. And as you said, really struggled being by himself. Um, but that's the reality here. And obviously, I know UCLH isn't up to full capacity yet. Um they aren't working from eight in the morning till 10 at night just yet. I think the plans are in a couple of months, it might be there. But also in the UK, not all treatment sites are commissioned by the NHS. So obviously we have the, the NHS commissioning service and they will decide if there's enough evidence for proton therapy. And actually it's mainly paediatrics. So there isn't a lot in the UK that is commissioned. Whereas America, you can probably have it on any part of your body, wherever you want to do, if there's money for it. So... That's, that's also quite interesting and I think what people don't understand is if a proton therapy unit's down you can't go to another centre in the same country you go to x-rays normally as you said so photon treatment but that has sometimes devastating side effect implications if the actual side effect dose or the dosage to the organs at risk in that area was already low I mean a photon beam is completely different to a proton beam isn't it?
Elsa, how, from a European perspective, do they commission proton therapy? Because obviously, in terms of kind of how the NHS works, it only as exactly as Numan has said, you have to have a particular type of cancer fit the eligibility criteria. How does that differ in Europe? Um, you can be treated. Um, let's say it depends who you are. <laughs> um, if you can pay for the treatment. Let's say, let's let's pick numbers. Um, X-rays. The treatment will be five thousand pounds per patient. Proton therapy. It's about forty-five, uh, fifty thousand pounds per patient. So of course, we try to. I mean, the um, the doctors will try to send everybody to X-rays. Now, if your conditions really require that you have protons, like imagine you have a tumor in the eye, um, yes, you will be sent to a, uh, to proton therapy. Now, um, if you want protons, but the doctor doesn't want to send you to protons, there's always a way that you can uh, afford uh, for the treatment yourself. This is actually what's happening more, more in the U.S. than uh, than in Europe. Um, protons are definitely recommended for brain, uh, for left breast, for pediatric. But in the U.S., the people who do have money, they are uh, men, older men. So actually, those people can afford proton therapy treatment, but what they have is prostate cancer. So the people who get proton therapy are probably the ones who need it less. <laughs> but that's something that, um, well, this is still commercial, you know. <laughs> in Europe, it's a bit different, but in the in US, it's a bit like this, yeah. Oh, thank you for explaining that. And I think everyone would have just gone like my jaw dropped open when I was like £55,000. There's quite a difference in price, isn't it? So you can understand why commercially, you know, people want to get involved and in behind proton therapy. But um, it is important, isn't it, to look at the evidence base and proton therapy for anyone who doesn't know hasn't been around as long as photons. So, you know, what is the research suggesting? The research is suggesting that, yes, uh, it's better, maybe not in all cases, but there are plenty of patients who are now treated with photons while they should be treated with protons. That's it. I think the ethics of it, um, yeah, it's a grey area for me. I think paediatrics, teenage young adults, if you can avoid side effects to sensitive areas because obviously this is a theme that comes up on the podcast that people are being diagnosed earlier they've been caught earlier but it means that the symptom burden they're surviving way past what you know history has told us about cancer treatments um i spoke to a patient uh this week on the phone in a telephone clinic who said well actually you know my her, her mother had treatment in the 1960s and said the side effects and everything compared to what she saw with her mum she was terrified when she came for conventional radiotherapy but that's that historic viewpoint isn't it and now everything comes around money I think it, unfortunately that's how things things are funded but it would be interesting now with UCLH and the Christie here I know there's a quite a few different trials that are coming through 
Um, but then it's also, as you said, it's understanding the benefits because, I mean, for like lung cancer, for example, because the protons are a higher energy, the interaction with air and inside as well, there's a lot more damage that can be done. Is that right? Yeah, that's quite. So we will need, um, eventually we'll need less factions as well. We can tweet faster because of this. Elsa, can you tell us then about your business what do, what what does it do why are you trying to revolutionize proton therapy <laughs> because i think that fifty thousand pounds for treatment is too much <laughs> yeah <laughs> so this i'm glad someone out there with a business <laughs> thinks that also <laughs> yeah so i'll say proton therapy uh, our vision is to deliver affordable and sustainable proton therapy treatment so initially, Alcelie was a bunch of uh, particle accelerators, uh, scientists, who have developed and patented a new particle accelerator for proton therapy. So I told you before that currently we are using uh, cyclotrons. So cyclotrons are circular machines and very compact. So, and on top of that, they require an energy degrader, and all this um, generates a lot of induced radioactivity. What Alcelie is doing is the exact opposite. So we are developing a linear accelerator, and linear means less induced radioactivity. Then we do a long machine, and long means also um, we reduce the induced radioactivity even more. Then we change the design to reduce the upfront cost. Um, if you buy a cheap machine uh, on the market today, it costs you about 30 millions. And then there will be the recurring costs. So you need power, you need cooling and this is what Alcely will also reduce. So with our new um, technology, we use less power and we use no liquid helium cooling and very low water cooling. Another cost that makes, it, makes a proton therapy treatment um, so expensive, it's the maintenance cost. So I told you that the, the cyclotrons can be down for weeks and you need very expert people, engineers, to, to put the machine back in order. So we've changed the technology. What we are doing, actually, we have patented accelerating cavities, independent accelerating cavities that are very small, about 10 centimeters. But there are plenty of them. So what we do is we, let's say our machine can accelerate up to 200 MeV. But for that very treatment, let's say we only need 160 MeV. So there will be plenty of cavities that are present physically on the machine, but they are not used for that treatment. Assume one is broken. You started your day, everything was fine, middle of the day, damn it, this one doesn't work. Doesn't matter, you just use the next cavity. And you can finish your treatment there, no problem. In the evening, 
when the last patient is gone, you enter uh, the machine, it's like an electron linac. As soon as you turn the machine off, there's no uh, radioactivity anymore. Can make your maintenance, it's very easy. And the following day, you can treat again, no problem. So, this was uh, our goal to make the technology much easier to maintain. This was for the accelerator part. This is what Axeli is doing. Then you can ask me what happens to the patient. What about the treatment room? Do you still use this huge gantry? Well, hell no. <laughs> this is old technology. Um, we are going to have a fixed beam and have the patient sit on a chair, on a rotating chair. And for that, we are planning on using the solution from Leo Cancer Care. And you had the CEO of Leo Cancer Care, Stephen To. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're big fans of Stephen. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, what uh, Leo Cancer Care is developing is amazing. And I really think it's the, it's the future of proton therapy. So he's really doing a, a, a great job. And what we want is to attach their treatment room to our machine. So this is what we plan to do. Now we receive interest from customer, not only to deliver an accelerator and a few treatment rooms, but to build a whole proton therapy centers for them. And well, we are small, so we are flexible. And this is something that we can do as well. Uh, we have an, an architect uh, in our team and uh, we're discussing solutions for that very customer. So that makes, makes it very exciting. And this is things that uh, suppliers in the market today don't do. So this is our city. <laughs> Amazing. I think the future is obviously very bright. Um, I was very lucky enough at Estro this year to sit in the, in the seat uh, with Stephen telling me how the machine was going to work. Yeah, it was great fun. I know, Joe, you've done it too when you went to the offices. But, um, I mean, it's important, exactly as he said in that episode, it's how you view cancer patients. When you Google them, everyone's lying down, looking not great. But actually, when you view, I don't know, exercise or happiness, obviously everyone's running around walking. But it, it is how you view, yeah, what we do on a day-to-day basis, basically. Um, also, I just wanted to ask quickly where you were talking about um, energy levels obviously with within linear accelerators so either for photons or for protons just for our listeners why why would we need to use different energies uh, you want to have the Bragg peak so the energy deposit their energy within the tumor so if your tumor is very close to your skin then you need lower energy than if your tumor is within the, the middle of your body so it's about going to the depths uh, of the body. I suppose with, with everything you've said, why is sustainability so important? Well, first of all, I'm not going to speak about global warming, <laughs> but <laughs> everybody speaks about it to, uh, nowadays, but this is point one. Then point two, um, there are already initiatives that are specific to ecology uh, one of them that comes to mind is the um, Safe Europe, 
So I don't know if the UK is part of Safe Europe or not. Honestly, I have no idea, but um, Safe Europe is safe and free exchange of EU radiography professionals across Europe. And they have a work, pack work package that uh, specializes on circular economy um, and really want to, to yeah, to, to be good for the environment. So I invite you to have a look at their website uh, if you're interested. Now, what um, sustainability is also using less power and less cooling, less liquid helium cooling. And all that actually decreases the recurring costs of proton therapy. So it's actually bringing that the, um, the cost per patient is decreasing as well. So, and if the cost per patient decreases, then there will be more proton therapy centers in the world. <laughs> so it's better for the patient. How much do you think it will cost, Elsa? You know, like you said it was £55,000. How much do you think with your new version of proton therapy would, would a, a treatment cost? Yeah, we... We believe that we can match the cost of x-rays so that we can go down to 5,000 pounds per patient. So Obviously, that's something that's really, really important for developing countries as well. So developing countries who, you know, we if there's a linear accelerator in, the, in a Western country that's gone to its 10-year life cycle, they'll often be sent over to... A developing country and then they use there and there'll be that one linear accelerator for the entire country which has one radiation oncologist so i think something like this is obviously from a sustainability perspective for a developing countries very exciting because at the moment those patients wouldn't get this treatment anywhere that's correct they don't so there is uh, nothing in africa nothing in south america so as i said most machines are in the us in japan in europe um some in other countries in Asia, but really under continents where there is no machine at all. Um, what uh, in our business plan, what we have um, is that our machines uh, are non-radioactive. So cyclotrons, when they come to end of life, they are the property uh, of, the, of the client, so that's the hospital. So the hospital is the happy owner of a very radioactive machine that cannot work anymore shouldn't be that problem <laughs> but it is so we have a non-radioactive machine and at the end of life we want uh, to take it back refurbish and resell this machine as second hand to countries that cannot afford proton therapy today and yes it's the developing world so this is an inner business plan as well yeah and I know you said you didn't necessarily want to go into global warming but it is something we talk about and actually we have um a student therapeutic radiographer who helps us hugely with rad chat tara smith who um you know she's got a real interest in radiotherapy and the impact environmentally it has for anyone out there is radiotherapy radiation treatments like proton therapy are they environmentally challenging areas of practice today yes today i really think they are um I had a um, 
discussion one day with a mentor of mine who told me, uh, who cares <laughs> if radiotherapy, um, I mean, X-rays are not um, problematic for the environment, huh? photon therapy is. But so that mentor told me, yeah, um, it actually doesn't matter if it's bad for the environment because there's nothing more important than human life. And I can understand that, but honestly, if we can do things better, why shouldn't we? So this is uh, our vision at Arceli, yeah, to, to provide a solution that's sustainable. It's, again, global warming, as much as lots of people want to stick their head in the sand about it. So where, where I work, our linear accelerators need to be cooled exactly as you've explained for a proton therapy unit. We don't have proton therapy, but the cooling units, so the water tanks, they're on the roof because that was the easiest place to store them when it was first built. Uh, we're quite an old department, so a long time ago, let's say. But now, when we had you know 45 degree heat recently in, in London, I mean, on the roof, it was unbearable. So what happens then? The water that's supposed to be for cooling, which was cold in there, it was too hot. So all of our machines went down. Now, that if that in itself doesn't explain that global warming is happening, I don't really know what does because that put us out for almost three, four days in a row where machines just weren't working. So, I mean, I can't remember the exact statistic, but it's, I think, less than 5% for Category 1 patients. If they miss a treatment, that's the effect it can have on their cure rate. That's quite a big deal. Obviously, we did everything we could. We worked later into the evening to make sure those patients had treatment. But, you know, places like Africa or India or where they are across the equatorial line, they can't necessarily do that because even at nighttime, it's 40 degrees. So in the daytime, it goes up to 50 degrees. Where I was born, it was 48 degrees normally in the summer. So yeah. it, I think, it. yeah, we need to really think about that. Yeah, and you will need uh, air conditioning, but air conditioning is not good for the environment. So. <laughs> and plus, I also think the biggest impact is that you're not going to have any humans to treat when they're all dying. <laughs> yeah, because well, uh, not from cancer, yeah, just, but they're dying from yeah. the impact of global warming. Oh, my God. Yes, um, yes. Yeah. And yeah, so it is, I, I, know, I know what your mentor was saying, yeah. but yeah, it's, I do think it is something that we need to start taking seriously. Yeah. And I know in the UK, it is something that lots of trusts are starting to kind of really think about, especially through COVID with the amount of PPE that, that was used. Mm -hmm. I always like have this anxiety fear. I, I don't ask me why, but I literally was thinking about seahorses swimming around the ocean oh. with face masks. Hanging <laughs> off them. Um, I think it, I think it stems from David Attenborough's programs <laughs> around like the damage to the ocean but that's literally what i would fall asleep thinking about was there's going to be seahorses with face masks attached to them but yeah anyway i digress i apologize um elsa what is the future for your business you know what you know what's on the agenda i know you said that obviously um funding yeah. is a big aspect but what what else are you busy doing how are you going to encourage people to start moving away from the standard proton machines mm -hmm. that they're using well, so we have uh, a patenting technology. We need to start building the first machine. So indeed, we are fundraising um, and we are looking for first customers. We are also looking uh, for partners with, with interest uh, or expertise um, in radiation therapy or in proton therapy and to give us advice and feedback on what we are doing. 
Um, so if that's you, <laughs> feel free to, uh, to, to follow us on LinkedIn or contact me, uh, send me an email, contact me on LinkedIn. I, you can email me at um, elsa at alceli.com. I'll be happy to, to speak with you. Um, how do we make people change their mind? It will be, I think, increasing our visibility. And that's probably why I'm speaking to you today as well. <laughs> we need, uh, yeah, to, we need to make people understand that. Uh, and I'm speaking doctors, and I'm speaking patients. That doctors are aware that proton therapy exists, and that patients ask for it as well if the doctor doesn't do it. Um, it's by being uh, more visible that people will see the opportunity. They won't recommend something that they don't know. So I'm working hard on that. <laughs> Every day from 5.30am. You'll get, hopefully, I really hope Radchat has a reach far enough that your LinkedIn profile gets visited lots and uh, you'll be pinging <laughs> you. straight away from 5.30 in the morning and in your afternoon downtime. You'll be there on that bench for much longer than you usually are. Let's see. Let's hope. <laughs> so, Elsa, I mean, this has been a very stimulating conversation. I really enjoyed learning about the physics. Um it's yeah it's it's obviously well I didn't actually study it at school but then I ended up doing a profession in physics but there you go um so to finish our episodes um Elsa we normally ask for some top tips what would you say to our listeners so if your listeners are um therapeutic radiographers so I'm not a therapeutic radiographer but when I was working for Varian I went in hospitals many times and I saw how how you you don't really have much time per patient is the fact, right? But um, if patients are just what you do every day, there's just another patient coming in, yes. However, for them, um, they put their lives in your hands. So your verbal and your non-verbal communication is very important. And I would say it's part of their recovery. So look at them, smile to them, um, be kind, and that will really change their lives. Now, for everybody around, whether you are an RT or not, <laughs> I would say cherish the times when you feel bored. When people are bored, they turn the TV on usually. And I think it's an enormous loss of time and opportunity. I mean, you might have great things on TV, but maybe not every night. Um, when you have nothing to do, it's the opportunity for you to see where you are in your life and if you are happy or if you think something can be improved and uh, to, to work for a better future for yourself. On that, I would say, if you think there are people around you that really don't support you, are very negative uh, and push you down, um, don't listen to them first and try to not see them anymore. <laughs> that, that, when I started to clean up my phone book, it was uh, liberating. <laughs> 
so also never tell yourself that you cannot do something. Uh, the sky is the limit, but be aware that it implies taking a risk. So not stupid risk, just know what the, your limits are. And it also requires a lot of efforts. So it doesn't mean you need to wake up at five. <laughs> but there will be a lot of work <laughs> to be done. <laughs> and again, failure is not a problem. If you fail, doesn't matter. Uh, you will just have learned something and next time you try, uh, you will succeed. Surround yourself with positive people, people who support you, their friends, their family. But there are also people who you have never met before. Like I was saying, what happened to me um, last week, just reach out to people, maybe because you saw them uh, or heard them on the podcast or some saw them on LinkedIn or whatever. Just reach out to them, introduce yourself, see um, if they have just that very piece of advice that will really help you. Uh, so... Don't hesitate to reach out to people you don't know. And really the worst advice I, I got in my life when I was a kid is to never speak to strangers. So I'm happy I changed that and I'm happy I got the opportunity to speak to you, <laughs> Neyman and Joe. <laughs> Elsa, I absolutely love those top tips. And I literally have to think about how I rephrased my son about not talking to strangers. <laughs> Because you're absolutely right. <laughs> Coming from me, who literally speaks to everyone, I really need to maybe take my own advice. <laughs> Honestly, thank you so much. Some such good top tips and quite philosophical, but I actually think I'm going to take some of those away with me and start to think about it. And no one's already panicking about what that means for our chat um, but yeah very exciting I would just like to say on behalf of everyone who works in radiation therapy there are lots of people like you Elsa mm -hmm. who go unrecognized the physicists you know you started the podcast talking about how you were supporting the workforce yep. um maybe who have that patient contact but you're there working the evenings you're working yep. all the weekends the physicists, the dosimetrists, the engineers, you know, so many people are behind the scenes that patients and even those who work in radiation therapy don't appreciate are there dedicating their lives to essentially treating cancer patients, but maybe not being at all visible. So I just want on behalf of everyone to say thank you to everyone out there in those unseen professions, because I know therapeutic radiographers and radiation therapists shout about not being seen, but what if we weren't even visible to patients? You know, the recognition that people get is isn't as much as they deserve working in those in those professions. So thank you. Yeah, I think you're correct. So thank you. <laughs> oh, well, thank you again to our guest Elsa for coming on. It's been amazing. Um, so thank you to everyone for listening to Red Chat. Your hosts today have been Naman Joka Anderson and Joe McNamara. For utilising this podcast for CPD purposes, consider the reflective questions posted along with all the links to resources and literature that we've discussed. To receive your accredited CPD certificate, please complete the Google form linked with the podcast. Next guests to feature will be Melanie Clarkson and Ricardo Kine, and they will be discussing advanced practice within radiography. Um, thank you very much for listening and take care.